back to the stadium view. Another edition of the fifth quarter week number three. And let's all toast to the end of training camp, ladies and gentlemen. The final public <laughs> practice was today. And it wasn't so public because they had to go inside of the Hudson Center. But I survived another training camp. And we're almost ready to play some real games, especially after what happened Friday night on an Oakland Packers fall to the Raiders 13-6. to Got one left in Kansas City on Thursday night. Big week for the boys in the bubble. We'll take you back to Oakland and spend a little time on that game. But we're going to look back on 100 years of Green Bay Packer football with our special guest Cliff Crystal in the house tonight. We'll be joining us in a couple of minutes. Alongside, as usual, Matt Z. Hello, Matthew. Not impressed by game number three? No, not really impressed. A couple of players made some plays. But uh, on the whole, I thought the defense was okay. Not bad. Kept the Raiders out of the end zone until the last couple of minutes. Uh, but uh, there were some problems up front for the QBs. We'll hear about that in just a second. But, yeah, a uh, very disheveled, disorganized game with I don't know how many second and 18s, third and 21s they had in that game, but it's awfully hard to play that way. Yeah, I think 13 total penalties, sacks all over the place. But, I mean, when you don't start your normal guys on the offensive line, you're expecting to have some growing pains for sure. But on the defensive side, you got some young, talented, ball-hawking cornerbacks right you, now those corners are picking it up yeah. Jair alexander with his first josh jackson with another and uh well that one didn't count but it was a pretty play nonetheless uh and, yeah and they're getting after it and of course uh, the play of those young dbs made one of the veteran dbs expendable well he wasn't really a veteran but Lindsey pipkins was uh, jettisoned to indianapolis yesterday in that trade for linebacker antonio morrison who arrived today and practiced for the first time just getting his feet wet, just trying to figure out where everything is. But uh, as a guy that has entered his third year, he was a fourth-round pick in 2016 out of Florida, led the Colts in tackles last year, but a change in coach, change in scheme. Uh, he is literally an inside linebacker, and not a big one at that. He's only like 6'1", 215, but he's a downhill uh, run-playing inside backer, not the fleetest of foot. But uh, because there's Blake Martinez and nothing but – kids in diapers around him, they had to get somebody that has played a little bit in the NFL. Oh, absolutely, and especially with Oren Burks during preseason, you know, the pregame warm-ups, dislocating that shoulder, that's never a good thing. So hopefully that heals fine, and that's not a lingering issue for I, that I guy. Think it's, he had a great, he's been having a really, he's really He's been nice really camp. solid. Yeah, I think they're really happy with Oren Burks. It's not a long-term deal, McCarthy right. said today, so I don't think he'll play in Kansas City on Thursday night, but hopefully he'll be ready uh, for the, the big one against the Bears on September the 9th. And with Morrison, I believe he was taking six picks before Blake Martinez in that draft. Just before. Mm. Well, I think the Packers did a better job scouting yeah. than did the Indianapolis Colts <laughs> because I think Blake Martinez is a pretty good linebacker. So, a lot to get to tonight. Let's get started, shall we? Let's go back to the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. And uh, there's a reason I don't travel in the preseason, and one of them is the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. If that place could fall down tomorrow, and it just might, it wouldn't miss it. The NFL's... They haven't spent a dime on that building in, I bet, 30 years. Other Where, than the tarp that covers the entire upper deck because not enough fans go to Oakland anymore. Where does that rank on your least favorite places to watch a game? Stadium-wise? Yeah. One of the worst. And I'll see another one at FedEx. Washington, D.C. is absolutely miserable. 
Are those your bottom two, or are there ones that are further down? I'd have to think about that, yeah. but uh, they're certainly up there. But holy cow. Even McCarthy said we took two planes to travel. They're going to take two planes every game this year. Uh, and we kept a lot of guys home. We didn't even bring them because he says the locker room is so small, we wouldn't have anywhere to dress them anyway. <laughs> In the hallway, I swear. That's how bad Overcrowding that place. issues. I know. I don't know how the A's can endure that place. But anyway, on to the game. 13-6, to the final. Uh, Mike McCarthy called it a sloppy one. And as I said, a hard one to evaluate quarter pack play because the offensive line had a downright horrible night. You know, from a protection standpoint, as, as, as poor of a performance as, as we've had, uh, the, the penalties, I think we had eight, seven or eight uh, plays where we were you know, longer than 19 yards you know, for a conversion. So, I mean, it was, it was, it was such an unbalanced um, you know, challenge. Very unbalanced challenge. Five sacks, as you mentioned, a handful, a whole bunch of penalties, 13 for a buck 10. Uh, on that offensive line, none of the preferred starters even played a snap. I mean, it was, uh, what did they go? Kyle Murphy until his ankle went bad. He's right. back in a walking boot on his right ankle after breaking his left ankle last year, or his left foot. Uh, then you had, uh, let's see, uh, left guard was, I believe, Lucas Patrick, maybe? No, he was center. They had Panky on the yep. line, and they had Spriggs on the other line. I talked to Adam Panky, who said it was a night where everything that could go wrong, yeah, it did. Sure felt like it. Um, I mean, felt like we got got to a fast start. Um, we we started connecting on some plays, started moving the ball a little bit. And then um, one mistake after the other, a lot of penalties. A lot of penalties. One that took away a touchdown on the ground. Yeah, Panky was the left guard. Byron Bell was over at right guard for the Packers on on Friday night. Uh, well, one player on offense who needed a big game actually had one. How about Jimon Moore? Four catches, 62 yards. Tonight, you know, I just went out there and I wanted to make, I wanted to be me. And felt like people kind of slept on me a little bit because, you know, I've had some adversity, a rough start. But tonight, you know, I just put that all behind me. Like, I know what I want to do, and I went out there and did it to the best of my ability. So I'm not going to do nothing but um, stand on it and get better and take it day by day. He was hearing the whispers about the very inconsistent play at camp. A lot drops. of drops, yep. a lot of missed routes, things like that. But I'll tell you what, Z. He might have the most ability of all of those three draft choice right. receivers. That's why he was taken a first among the three between Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equiminius St. Brown. And he's, if he starts to come around the way he came around a little bit Friday night, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Rodgers talked about that in the media, you know, after a practice was all he really needs to do is just have one of those days where everything clicks and he starts making some plays and just settles down and realizes, all right, I can do this. We're yeah. all good. And then, it, then the plays will start piling up for Followed him. Followed it up with a pretty decent practice today, but only 228 yards on offense for the Packers against that Raider defense. Uh, uh, and when Oren Burks injured his shoulder in pregame warmups, it was undrafted rookie free agent Greer Martini out of Notre Dame who got the last-minute call as the understudy. So it was kind of like just right before the game and it happened. Um, it was like, hey, in base defense would be starting at the will linebacker spot. Um, and of course, like, you know, it's, for me, you know, going from being where I was at to now starting a game was, was an awesome experience as well as a great opportunity. Very good opportunity, and uh, he made the most of it. But he had three tackles, did recover a fumble for the Packers on defense. And as a whole, Dean Lowry thought the D was okay. Yeah, I think this game was a big test for us. Uh, that was a very physical O-line. 
they played their starters for you know much of the first half. So we knew that the you know the challenge for us would be getting off blocks and just staying in our gap and, and staying silent. So I thought we did that, and I thought we had a really good first half. I thought they had a decent first half as well. Absolutely, so, a lot to work yeah. on still. Lots of corrections. No one seriously injured in that game. We mentioned Murphy with the foot. We mentioned uh, Burks with the shoulder. Ty Montgomery left with a foot injury, but Ty was out practicing today. Uh, and uh, the Packers on the final camp practice were inside the Hudson Center, as I mentioned. Aaron Rodgers did not practice today. Home ill. Aw. Well, he had an up-close look at that offensive line, and I don't think he's quite recovered from that yet either. Yeah. So he'll get over or, it. Or Danica's in town. Who uh, knows? Maybe, maybe. But uh, other than that, the only guys that didn't practice were Murphy, Burks, Jake Kumaro, and Rodgers. Kumaro's still coming off that shoulder stinger, crossing his fingers he can play against how, the Chiefs. How do you think they handle game number four with players that dress and players that don't? I think it's going to be the same kind of thing. Now, today they had the five starting offensive linemen practicing team reps and they had they got more snaps together today than they have all summer. Okay. Uh, so that's a good sign, you know, with uh, Balaga and with Taylor and with Lindsley and with uh, McCray and with uh, Bakhtiari across the line. So whether or not they get in a series or two on Thursday night, Taylor says, I, "Yeah, I don't know if we." He told me, "I don't know if we really need it. It would okay. be nice if it happens, but if it doesn't, no big deal." He says, we go up against a pretty good D-line every day, and I think if we can block those guys, we should be able to block just about It's anybody. interesting how that's changed over it the has. years. And even watching other teams playing this weekend for game number three, they were still leaving their number ones and number one QBs for a whole first half. Yeah. And then you look at how the Packers approach game three. It was, we're not starting any of our number ones on offense. If you still have a relatively young starting quarterback, sure. I would play him. Yeah. I would play him a lot. They need a lot of snaps. If you've got a 14-year guy who's won a couple of MVPs. Regular yeah. season's the thing. I, I, the regular season Stay is the healthy. thing. And yeah. One game away from that as the Packers take on the Kansas City Chiefs on Thursday night. We welcome our listeners in Sheboygan and Wausau and our viewers online across all of the Midwest communication stations. We are live from the Stadium View on Home Greenway. Great reason to come on down tonight. We're going to be sending someone off to the Packer Pro Shop from our friends at Robinson's. We'll also be playing our hot and cold game. we got the new Eric Caps, the Road Hats tonight. These are what they'll wear Ooh, on the nice. road. So in honor of their trip to Oakland, we got a new era road hat for you to give away as well tonight. And when we come back, uh, the team historian of the Green Bay Packers, Cliff Crystal, will be joining us live from The View. You got any uh, notes on uh, what's coming up here? Uh, just that it's an awesome place. Yes, it is. We love it here. It looks yes. great. And it's going to rev up big time in a matter of uh, a week. Yeah, great specials every night of the week. Great outdoor music. Most nights. Most nights. Most nights. Yeah, it's a great place to and be. Like, yeah, it'll go crazy. Come, Come watch the Brewers uh, games here, of course, as they try to get into October. Not tonight, though. They're not in tonight. Cincinnati tomorrow. All right, so we're talking football, and we're talking a whole lot of football, like 100 seasons worth. Cliff Crystal joins us when the fifth quarter returns right after this timeout. Don't go away. We now return you to the fifth quarter, live from the Stadium View Bar and Grill. Here are Mark Daniels and Matt Z. All right, welcome back to The View, everybody. Packers fall to the Raiders, the Chiefs to come, and then they play for keeps on September 9th with the Bears coming to Lambeau in the prime time show. One of my favorite shows during the preseason because, uh, you know, we can't get the players on until training camp, but we've had a little fun with Mark Murphy. We had a little fun with Brian Gutekunst. And first time I met this guy, I was a Cub reporter in the midst of the Bart Starr era, and uh, he kind of mentored me along and, 
literally showed me the finest taverns in every NFL city over the course of the first uh, 20 years of our relationship. Nearly killed me, but we're both still alive and going strong. And uh, after a very uh, distinguished career as a writer for the Green Bay Press-Gazette, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, he's now on board with the Packers as the team historian. And uh, I think he's pretty busy these days, what with 100 seasons to write about. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to The View in the fifth quarter, Cliff Crystal, back with us again. Hi, Cliff. Good to be with you. I don't want to go any further into the tavern stories. I would like to. We had a few. <laughs> we found some good ones. We found some good ones, indeed. But uh, all in good fun. Uh, what a project they've bestowed upon you to try and chronicle uh, the 100 seasons of Green Bay Packer football. It's got to be a pretty daunting task. Well, I think the Cardinals turned 100 previously, and I don't even know if they had any kind of a celebration because they moved so many times. Uh, we, we beat the Bears to 100, uh, beat the NFL to 100. So there's a lot of things that are going to be, that are going, to be going on this year. Um, and uh, we, we're working on a documentary, a decade-by-decade history of the Packers. And also I'm going to be working on a book about the 100-year history. And then there are a lot of other special events. Well, they had the Packer experience to kick off training camp. They got the gigantic celebration next week or two weeks with the Steve Miller Band coming to town for that concert on Saturday night before the game. Uh, and uh, obviously all kinds of stuff uh, has been out on Packers.com through the course of the year. When will this, will this documentary come out as a whole or is it going to be kind of uh, like a Game of Thrones series that we're going to have to tune into? No, I believe it'll come out in, a, in, a, in the whole and um, prior to the uh, August 11, 2019, which is our 100th anniversary. So this will be the 100th season. Uh, August 11th will be the 100th birthday or anniversary of, next year. Of 2000, yeah, of 19. 2019, yeah. I'm All right. sorry. So um, the book, um, how's that coming along? Slowly. I know. <laughs> I need I to start you. tackling it. Oh, my God. So I've talked to you I've, over the years, Cliff. We've talked so much uh, history about this team. What, Other than the fact that it just survived, uh, is that is that the major feature of this franchise? Uh, we all know it's the NFL's smallest market, smallest town, but time after time after time after time, this thing was given up for dead, but somehow there's a, you know, $500 million palace a block away from here uh, that is a shrine in the NFL, and it's a remarkable story. Yeah, survival's a miracle, and then on top of that, it's also been the most successful franchise in the history of the NFL with 13 championships. That's four more than anybody else. Um, when you put the two together, uh, I just feel like this is the greatest story in sports. There's certainly no NFL team that can match our history. Uh, maybe somebody could argue the New York Yankees, but I'm not aware of any other professional sports team that can. Montreal Canadiens? Yeah, I suppose Montreal or Toronto, um, Canadian tea, hockey teams. Uh, but I really think that the only other franchise that comes close to matching our history are the Yankees. Really? All right. You, you mentioned survival is a miracle for this franchise expand upon that that statement well i tell people that um the franchise was born on august 11 1919 and from that day 
really until 1950 for sure, maybe until the stadium was built in 1957, that the Packers were perpetually on their deathbed. I mean, there were very few days during that period of 30-plus years where uh, they weren't in danger of folding. Uh, you know, they first year in the NFL, they got booted out of the league at the end of the season for playing Notre Dame, yeah. using Notre Dame players. Curly, Curly wooed some buddies up here to play, right? Um, actually, that first season, because of the turnover, 1919-1920, the semi-pro seasons, the Packers uh, relied mostly on players from Green Bay East and West high schools. In 1921, once they got through their preseason games, they uh, they realized they had to replace those players, started recruiting guys with college and even some pro experience from across the Midwest. And you're not going to like to hear this, but for the final three games of the year, the Packers had to practice in Chicago before the games because there weren't enough players living in Green Bay. They were spread all over <laughs> Midwest. And yes, he... Um, They, they used three players from Notre Dame. Uh, Hunk Anderson and O.J. Larson were two of them, and I just learned on my trip around Lake Superior this past week that uh, they were from Calumet, Michigan, same hometown as George as the Gipper. Really? Yeah. All right. So the league booted them out for using players with college experience left or eligibility left, correct? Correct, against Racine in a non-league game. How did Curley convince him to get back into what was now being formed instead of the American Professional Football Association, I think it was called, to the National Football League in 21? Well, Lee Remmel used to always tell me that Curley could charm the birds out of trees, and I think that was a big part of it. Uh, his, you know, he was a great salesman, uh, plus... I think even in that first year, uh, the people realized that this was a pretty special place uh, in terms of being a, you know, regarding the pa this people's passion for football. And then uh, they really lucked out at the end of the year because they got a chance to play the Cardinals and Bears in Chicago for their fa last two league games. Actually, the Chicago Staley's at the time. And that was a big deal. Uh, and George Hallis wasn't being a friend of the Packers. He was in a tight race for the league championship. And he thought he could beat him. And he needed a team to beat to give him a better chance. At that point in time, you, made, you scheduled week to right. week. And he just wanted to play an extra game uh, that would give him an inside track in the league title. I think it was the Buffalo All-Americans that he was in the race with. I'm going to go look at that. Yeah, we're going back to 1921. Yeah, 1921. Yeah, the Buffalo All-Americans. They both finished nine wins, one loss, uh, and the Staley's had one tie, and the All-Americans had two ties. So uh, it was based on one less tie that they were able to uh, claim the league championship in 21. Well, I think what happened was, um, I haven't looked at this in a while, but what happened was that they played the Buffalo All-Americans on Thanksgiving, then played the Packers on Sunday. And what they needed was, I think the Buffalo All-Americans might have beaten them, and so they needed to pick up an extra win to tie in the standings. <laughs> so they got it, uh, and they won that game, obviously. So uh, away they go. So they get back in, and that was only the first of, obviously, as, as, as he was alluding to, just several hurdles. Um, you know, it was a... 
It was a difficult sell. Uh, they had to uh, continue to garner support from local businessmen just to have enough money to cover uniforms, everything else that went along with it. Yeah, I, you know, when I started with the first league season, 1919, uh, the Packers played on a vacant lot in Hagemeister Park. No fence, no bleachers. People stood around the sidelines to watch the game. Some people drove up in their cars or, I'm told, even their uh, horses and uh, wagons. And uh, the only way they, they made a few bucks because George Whitney Calhoun walked around and passed a hat looking for some spare change from the people who were there. There were dozens of little town teams, though, just forming at that time, too, weren't there, Cliff? All around the Midwest yeah, and Michigan. Well, upper, you know, yeah, basically everybody had a... A town team um, you know the Packers played mostly teams in the state of Wisconsin or the UP those first two seasons Sheboygan New London Oshkosh towns like that Stambaugh Michigan Ishpeming Michigan <laughs> and uh, it was pretty much the case everywhere Ohio is considered the birthplace of pro football okay but you mentioned George Whitney Calhoun and Pete Doherty wrote a story last week in the Press Gazette about how that newspaper really helped uh, fuel interest, channel interest, and just become really kind of the mouthpiece for Curley's vision. Yeah, I don't think the Packers would have survived without the Green Bay Press Gazette. Keep in mind two things. The Packers did not have an office building until 1950 when they moved to Washington really? Street. Was it Curley's house? George? No, no they, in, the, uh, in the building at the uh, south end of what was a downtowner. All right hotel um it's still there and they had a show from there for a couple of years yeah. in vince's old yeah, office the old, the old yeah. pub yeah. and and then um and they had no full-time employees other than curly he was and i don't know if curly was even full-time because he was selling insurance for the massachusetts mutual life insurance company during the off season <laughs> so curly maybe 30s 40s, he started working at least nine months a year and then heading to California for a chunk of the offseason. All right. Where he met his uh, second and third wives. Second and third, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that we know of. Yeah, really amazing. You go from selling insurance in the offseason to now you can make 10 to $15 million a year playing the game. Quite yeah, a difference, Well, actually, right? when Curly started when he was playing and coaching in the early 20s he was selling clothes on the floor of Stiefel's men's clothing <laughs> store in Washington <laughs> Street anybody in here my age or at least close to it might remember Stiefel's I remember Stiefel's yeah I'm close to your age well and that's just the birth of this franchise we got a long way to go and a lot of ground to cover Cliff Crystal is our guest tonight we'll talk more about the Packers glorious history with a team historian and when the fifth quarter returns after this timeout. Live from the Stadium View Bar and Grill, here are Mark Daniels and Matt Z. All right, welcome back, everybody. Packers cranking it up. They only have one more close workout tomorrow, and then they uh, fly to Kansas City. They'll take on the Chiefs and uh, Andy Reid's club at Arrowhead Thursday night. Cut the roster by Saturday, and then, uh, boy, we're less than two weeks away from the Bears on opening night. Cliff Crystal, our guest tonight, Packer team historian. Back with more of Cliff in just a moment, but it's time for our hot play of the day. Our friends at Robinson. 
Want to give you uh, some prizes tonight if you can guess the hot play of the game from Friday night. And you'll also get qualified for a grand prize drawing at the end of the year. A pair of indoor club se uh, seats to the uh, Packers finale against the Detroit Lions on the regular season finale. So they're lined up and ready to fire away. Let's see if we can't get a winner. We got Don up first. Don, what's your guess? Alexander's touchdown at 10-yard line. What was that? Alexander's oh, Jair Alexander's ragtime band? Uh, yeah. That's exactly it, Don. We're giving the hot play to number one pick, Jair. An athletic pick inside the 10. It came early in quarter number two. Second down and four. Slot right, slot left. Connor Cook shotgun. Doug Martin to his left. Cook pointing across to the formation. Packers have a single safety high. Snap to Cook. Steps, looks, rifles over the right side. Yes. It's Jair Alexander, the rookie. He turns the corner at the five. It's rolled down. Inside the 10-yard line of the Green Bay 7 Packers football. Yeah, there you go. Wayne Larrabee on the call on the Packer Radio Network. Jair really wanted to make a play after giving up that 49-yard catch to Amari Cooper to open the game. That first play of the game, though, that, that, was a, that was a welcome to the NFL kind of play for me. So, you know, I had to, had to bounce back after that one. So, you know, after, after that one, I needed that one. You know, felt, felt more comfortable. It's my first game at corner, um, you know, so... It's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Jair Alexander. And Don, you're a winner. We'll do a cold play a little bit later on. That kid looks good. Cliff, you don't get out to practice or anything anymore, do you? No, I'm too no. busy in the office. Yeah, I days. can imagine. I can imagine. Best player you covered? James. Other than Favre. Hmm. James Lofton, I think. Really? Um, maybe Gail Gillingham. Gail Gillingham. I started covering the team a little bit in 70, uh, regularly in 74. Um, I tell people, I, you know, the two greatest players in Packers history, without question, are Brett Favre and Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. I don't think anybody else is even in the conversation. Hudson? Maybe Hudson. I'm still, have, you know, he was, everybody considered him a great player. But his biggest stats came during the war years when the league was pretty lean on talent. And Lombardi said Paul Horning was his greatest player. I just don't think he did it long enough. Yeah, he had the one year for gambling. Injuries ruined it earlier than obviously he wanted. And he really was a player without a position for the first couple of seasons here. Yeah, he struggled his first two years, found himself under Lombardi, and was a great, great player for about a handful of years. Uh, he doesn't get the credit he deserves because his stats don't translate to today's game. But uh, as I said, Lombardi called him his greatest player. Did and they, who am I to argue? I wouldn't argue with that either. Did they, do you know if they even tried him at quarterback? Did he yeah, come he here? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that didn't work out. All right. All right. Z, what do you got? Do you have a favorite era or decade? over the course of this franchise? Oh, I think the 1920s because of uh, the factors at play in the Packers' survival. Um, I'd have loved to have lived followed the team through that decade. Just um, so much history there. And so much of it, I think, has been lost. Uh, you know, the Packers, the league trimmed cut out most of its small towns in 1927. 
It cut from 22 to 12 teams. They basically lost Canton, Columbus, Ohio, all these charter franchise teams that had started football well before they did in Green Bay. And um, not only did the Packers survive, but that was uh, 1927. There were three meetings when the cuts were made, and the Packers ho and Green Bay hosted one of them. And it was largely because the owners love coming to Green Bay, the players love to coming to Green Bay. Packers did not draw any better than the teams like the Canton Bulldogs, Columbus Panhandles, the teams that folded. There just weren't enough people here. They were in the same same boat as those other cities. But Green Bay uh, didn't obey the law, the, pro, the law of prohibition. <laughs> and uh, so the tavern stayed open here. It was a thriving red light district on the north side. Get out uh, of here. In, 19, in 1928, the city, after a federal raid by the prohibition agents, the city council in Green Bay passed a resolution saying, stay out of our business. We want the local sheriff's department to run the... Uh, Who's on the council, Capone? <laughs> well, actually, the sh there, there were several sheriffs um, over a period of time that ran the most popular bars in town during uh -huh. prohibition. If you owned a tavern, you were also probably sheriff, at least for a few <laughs> years during that period. So it was well known that teams, I mean, teams would come to Green Bay, and then they, they'd come a week early, they'd stay a week late. Um, this was just a wide open city. Art Rooney told me that in 1933, Art Rooney Jr. told me that his dad told him in 1933, when the Pittsburgh... Pittsburgh, then Pirates, now Steelers, came to town for the first time after they entered the league. Some fans came with them, and uh, the train rolled into the Milwaukee Road Depot, and the fans went out and found out that this was during a period they eased in the end of Prohibition. For a short period of time, bars throughout the country were allowed to sell 2-3 beer. They converted right. from no beer to 2-3 beer to the regular beer, regular alcohol content. Well, this was during a time period when everybody else in the country had to settle for 3-2 beer. But Green Bay, because they never shut down, was still selling the regular the good stuff. stuff. <laughs> so the fans got off the train, went to a bar, realized they were selling real beer in Green Bay, and came back yelling to everybody else in the train. And uh, Rooney said nobody, nobody that went with him, uh, our junior said his dad told him that all the fans who came to Green Bay with him never saw the game. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we go back to how Mark introduced you yeah. <laughs> and tells us that you show him all the bars on the road. Now we know why you wanted to live during the 1920s <laughs> and follow this team because the bars were roaring. The real beer in Green Bay, uh, it's a, and that prohibition is an interesting story too. I, um, the mob never moved into Green Bay, and Mary Jane Herber at the the local library, head librarian at Brown County Library, and I, somebody else at some points told me that the reason for that was it was such an open city they couldn't get a foothold here. You're going to have to deal with the sheriff every time you step into a bar. It's an amazing, amazing story. And the 20s also, Curly, you talk about this a lot. 
really did have an eye for talent. The kid was in his mid-20s, but he found some players, and suddenly he recruited players that became a part of the 29, 30, 31, three in a row NFL champions. Yeah, his first coup was Vern Llewellyn, one of the greatest Packers. Again, it's an injustice season in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Then in 29, he signed Johnny Blood, Cal Hubbard, Mike Machalski from other teams. All three are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Probably, the, to this day, the greatest off-season coup in terms of talent signings in the history of the league. And then to think, you know, Ron Wolf and I talk about this all the time, and it's, Ron makes the point, how in the world did he get somebody like Don Hudson from Alabama, Clark Hinkle from Bucknell, to come to Little Green Bay to play football before there was an NFL draft. Um, one of the, I did some research on Hinkle, and uh, one of the reasons he ended up here was that Bucknell played Fordham uh -huh. when both were football powers in New York when the Packers played the Giants in that 29-31 to 31 period when they won their three championships. And those Giant games, were Packer-Giant games, were so huge. And he became a Packer fan because Bucknell was in town to play Fordham, and they stayed over and went to the Giants-Packers game. That was one of the things you talk about, too, is that the Packers could barely draw. East-West game drew better than the Packers uh, back in the day. But when they went to New York and they were beating the Giants, suddenly the charm of the little city against the Goliath, Gotham, became something. Yeah, the, actually, the, the East-West game outdrew the Packer-Bear game. I think it was twice in the 1920s. <laughs> um, that was the biggest game in town. Yeah. Newspaper coverage, a full, you know, full page devoted to the preview, the game story. The Packers never got coverage like the East-West game did in those early years. What changed everything was in 1929. Packers went to New York. That was when the league the championship was determined by league standings, and they beat the Giants. They played 12 players. Ten of them played all 60 minutes. One player left in the last minute, and they put in a sub. Um, Packers won. They won their first league championship, and they became the darling of the New York sports writers. No TV, no very little radio. Games weren't broadcast. just started to be broadcast on radio, at least in Green Bay. And uh, so when most NFL games are attracting 12,000 fans, all of a sudden the Packers and the Giants are drawing 35,000 plus in New York. Uh, they're drawing close to 30,000 for the Packer Bear games in Chicago. So the Packers obviously made the Maras and the Hallises became great friends of the franchise because they were putting money in their pockets. And uh, they kept winning. So the, the Packers, for many years, were the biggest drawing card in pro football. And that's what helped them survive when they, you know, City Stadium was a 15,000-seat stadium in the mid-30s. Right, yeah, over at East High. When they won their fourth NFL title. They and couldn't even play the title game. And they're here. still the top draw. I remember Mark Murphy a couple of weeks ago said yep. that Packer-Patriot game was the most coveted game in the NFL schedule by every broadcast network this year.
and it got to NBC on a Sunday night. There's still that draw. Got to take a break. When we come back, more with Cliff Crystal. Fascinating evening. Talking the good old days of the green and gold, or back then it was the blue and gold, to tell you the truth. <laughs> yes, we'll take a break, and when we come back, the Sounds gold. Sounds like it was the drunken gold, yeah, actually. Yeah, no kidding. We'll come back with more right after this timeout. We now return you to the fifth quarter, live from the Stadium View Bar and Grill. Here are Mark Daniels and Matt Z. All right, welcome back, everybody. Having a fun time tonight talking about the good old days of the green and gold. But we got to play some games ourselves. We got a hot play winner, Don, earlier. Let's see if we can't find a cold play. Take home a prize from Robinson tonight. Get qualified for that Lions game of the indoor club seats in the chill of December at Lambeau. All right, speaking of cold, let's get a cold play winner. Z, what do you got? We have Bruce up. There's a lot of pressure on Bruce because he traveled all the way here from Detroit Uh just to try to win the Robinson's Cooler on the Coldplay. He said it's the only reason why he came. He heard Robinson Coolers are the best. All right. Well, it is the Lions. Bruce. You'll have to come back. What's your guess? All right, Mark. I'm going to go with uh, the Josh Jackson interception, which could have uh, led to Green Bay yeah, really uh, could have. touchdown, uh-huh. and it was called back by a penalty. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're picking the winners. We had a pick on the Nailed hot play. It. We got a pick on the cold play as well. Yes, it took points off the board for the pack, and it was another Josh Jackson gem. Snap to Cook in the shotgun. Lots of time. Rolls the right side, and it is intercepted with a penalty marker down. It is Jackson down the left sideline to the end zone for a touchdown. Another pick six for the Iowa rookie. 35-yard return. Prior to the interception, holding defense. Number 26, five-yard penalty. On the other side of the field. That's a shame. Isn't it? Yeah. That is the shame. That is a real shame. Herb Waters, what are you doing on the other side of the field? That's for Josh Jackson. He was really hoping he could make it back-to-back pick sixes of the preseason. Kind of heartbreaking, man. Uh, you know, every time, those are big play opportunities that they can change the outcome of the game. And, you know, if those stand, we're looking at a whole different uh, situation right now. So, But, you know, we just try to – got to fight through it. There's some adversity. Um, you just got to you know, fight through it, man. So not everything's going to be perfect. Not everything's going to go your way. And, it just happened tonight that things didn't really go our way. So we have to just fight through those and, you know, just keep making more plays. Kids making plays. That kid is making plays. They're Josh ball Jackson. hawks. These young and guys, again, they get after it. Yeah, the emergence of Alexander and Jackson really made Lindsey Pipkins expendable. So he was shipped to Indianapolis for that trade for linebacker Antonio Morrison, which was the big news on Sunday. Got big news Saturday. Brian Gutekunst going to have to cut this roster to 53. We'll spend a little bit of time before we're done tonight on some, I think, the key roster battles. But as long as we got them, let's keep talking about Cliff. We talked about the glory of run of the uh, the pack in the 20s, but uh, it, it wore on. Curly got a couple of more championships, Cliff, but uh, by uh, you know the late 40s, how to turn sour. Some fans started to grumble about the fact that Curly had gone Hollywood. Um, In 1932, the Packers took a barnstorming trip to Hawaii. The end of the season, at that time, the Packers would take an eastern road trip, play as many as four, five, even six games on the road. In 32, uh, they were gone. They were on the road for the last 32 game, 32 days of the season. Played, I think it was six games. They returned home. They were here for less than 48 hours, 
and Johnny Blood had arranged a barnstorming tour to California. So they took the train to LA, um, caught the USS Mariposa in LA for the boat ride to Hawaii. And on that boat ride, two players were uh, flirting with a woman who was much younger than Curly, uh, who had won the Miss California contest just a few years earlier. All right. And as they were fighting over her, Curly interceded, won the woman. When they came back from Hawaii, which was another month later, so essentially they were gone for like 70 days. Wow. He told Marguerite, his wife of by then um, 13 years, 14 years, that he wanted a divorce. That was his high school sweetheart. And he ended up marrying this Miss California. They had a brief marriage. And uh, then they got divorced, and then he married the uh, ex-wife of a Hollywood film producer. So he spent a lot of time in California, and he was accused of both going Hollywood, and some of the executive committee members felt like times had changed in the NFL, and he needed to be minding the store more during the offseason, which he wasn't. I think that was part of it. Um, they started losing in the late 40s, but two things embittered two members, longtime allies, people who were with him from the beginning. Before the 1945 season, he replaced Dr. W.W. Kelly, who was one of the former presidents of the Packers, one of the Hungry Five, one of the original members of the executive committee as team physician. And before 1947 season, he replaced George Whitney Calhoun, the co-founder, as his PR guy with George Strickler from Chicago. Neither of those went over well, and um, from that day forward, Calhoun and Kelly were bitter enemies, along with the local attorney, Gerald Clifford. Lee used to tell me that uh, Calhoun, to the day he died in 1963, told people he wanted to outlive Lambeau, so he could pee on his grave. <laughs> That's how bitter it was. Wow. Wow. And, um, and then, you know, Curly was still playing the Notre Dame box as late as 46, a version of it still right. in the late 40s. And, the, and things turned sour on the field. And Calhoun and uh, Kelly and Clifford couldn't get the votes to oust him at a bitter meeting in 1949. But... Lambeau then resigned shortly after that. That was the meeting at what? Was that at the... Uh, Brown County Courthouse, yeah. October, November right. 30th, 1949. Yeah. Still probably the most contentious meeting in Packers history. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Have, have you always had a passion for history? Yes. My grandmother instilled it in me when I was a kid. Uh, yeah. I, she taught me that... I knew the presidents in order probably by the time I was five, seven years old <laughs> because of her. <laughs> when, when did you really start getting? I don't want to say obsessed, but it almost seems like it with this franchise. When did you really start wanting to know more about how this franchise came to be? Well, I covered it for many years, so I was becoming more familiar with its history. I didn't live it like Lee Remmel did. Uh, and then in the '80s, there were a couple books written. Um, one by Larry Names, who pointed out all the discrepancies between what was kind of a 
accepted history and folklore. Yeah, and what he claimed was basically fiction. And I found it interesting, but I was working for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel at the time, and as I read the book, I thought, boy, this is interesting, but he doesn't offer any proof or even evidence. It's like he speculates on why this might have been. So I felt as a newspaper writer covering the team, I couldn't really use what was in that book without verifying it. So I started one by one checking on the, out these stories and found out, yes, those stories were myth, the accepted history, what had become the accepted history. But at the same time, what names wrote was mostly BS <laughs> with no foundation. And so then I started researching each of these subjects and trying to get to the bottom of the, the, the real story. But there are a lot of things about Packers history we'll never know. I mean, I, I feel like I know a lot, but the more I learn, the more I feel like the less There's I know. There's just so uh, little documentation, and you would have thought that Calhoun would have probably been a little more diligent being a newspaper man to... Well, I, that's uh, not... It's, there is documentation. The problem is the only place you can find it is in the Green Bay Press-Gazette. Press-Gazette covered the Packers better than any other paper in any other NFL city. The one exception might have been Rock Island, the short time Rock Island was in the league. But the, the coverage was thorough. Problem was, the only way you could read it was to grind microfilm. Yeah. And um, that's what I finally ended up doing. Uh, I started with January 1, 1919, and started reading press gazettes and read it for 40 years, day <laughs> by day. And that took close to 15 years. And I didn't, I wrote very little about the history yeah. until I got done with that process. Yeah. And I was fascinated just conversing with your predecessor, Lee Remmel. I, I can't tell you how many hours I would just either sit in his office or be on the road and just let him regale and embellish everything he knew and experienced about this team. It's just fascinating. He knew a lot. Yeah. Great storyteller. He was willing to share it with all of us. Um, I interviewed him many times. I wish I could interview him. Yeah, Still me too. interview him many more times. Yeah, I agree. No question about it. Um, I, we didn't even get to the really fun stuff, the glory years and how Lombardi got here and everything else. But, hey, you're gonna, it'll be in your book, I'm sure. Uh, great stuff, Cliff, as always. Uh, it was a real pleasure having you on board. Glad you could spend some time. Good luck with all of the projects this year. It should be a blast when it comes out. Appreciate it. Enjoyed right. it, and thank you for coming. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Cliff Crystal, Packer team historian. we got to take a break. When we come back, a couple of quick notes on the week that will be coming for the Pack, and we'll give away our grand prize when we come back right after this time out from the Stadium View. Here are Mark Daniels and Matt Z. All right, welcome back, everybody. Woohoo! Walking, talking, encyclopedia, that gentleman. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Honestly, and it's good to know that alcohol played such a big role in our friendship and in the Packers' yes. history. It's the common bond. It is the bond. That brings so many people together. Absolutely. We didn't and, even... and for people listening, just so they know, the guy had no notes. Oh, like, yeah, no. It's just an encyclopedia it's of knowledge. A great guy, great friend. I was glad he could come over tonight. Yeah, it was cool. Next week, the players start coming in, ladies and gentlemen, and a lot of players are leaving as they get down to 53. I wish I could uh, tell you more about what I think about that, but 
Check out the blog, News from the Black Pack blog on your Midwest Communication Radio Station website, and I'll have it all for you later in the week. we got to send somebody to the Packer Pro Shop from our friends at Robinson's. Who's going shopping? Tom S. Tom S. Tom S. Tom S. is the winner tonight. we got more door prizes to come. We are back Monday night. I know it's Labor Day, but spend your holiday with us. For Matt C., I'm Mark Daniels. Thanks for coming. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. So long, everybody.